Hi everyone, I'm Bill DeFilippo. And I'm Nick Pollock, and welcome back to Roar Lions Radio. That's our new name. Yeah, we like it a lot. We've, we have a name now because we actually thought it through before we recorded this time, which worked out pretty well, I like to think. Yeah, I think it sounds good. It flows yeah. off the tongue. It, it really does, and it keeps us on brand, which is really all that matters. And speaking of the Roar Lions Roar brand, I would just like to... Uh, before we get into anything, try and convince you to either buy or download some of the cool things we have right now. First things first, Roar Lions Roar t-shirts. We have the two standard t-shirts, Roar Lions Roar and Bunch of Fighters. We got our shipments in today, Nick and I. They are the softest t-shirts that I have ever felt. They're really beautiful. I highly recommend going it's on like to the... It's like wearing a cloud. What? And it's like you, wearing a cloud. It's you would think that is a bad Nick joke, but I am 100% serious that it feels just like that. Go onto the site. Make sure you pick up a few of those. They're made by these folks over at Humbly Made, an awesome t-shirt company that just makes the highest quality t-shirts that you will own. Go there. Buy your new favorite t-shirt. Wear it around proudly. And I am not just saying this for commission reasons. I'm saying this because these are legitimately awesome t-shirts. Additionally, make sure you go and you download the official Roar Lions Roar cell phone wallpaper, which has the Penn State football schedule. If you're like me, a Saturday in the fall is a Saturday in the fall and you get them all mixed up every now and then, this is a really great and convenient way for you to just look down and remember who Penn State is playing this week, whether it's a home game, whether it's a away game, anything like that, and they're just a really cool-looking wallpaper. So make sure you download those, make sure you buy a t-shirt, make sure you keep reading the site, and make sure you listen to the rest of this podcast because we got ourselves a special guest from over at the Bill, solid... You, oh, the, was that? the way you're... The way you're saying that, it's like you're you're ready to do ad reads just as well as our guest does them. Well, I mean, that's because we have a sponsorship from the great folks over at SeatGeek. Do you like getting tickets and blah, 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 all that? I've done that enough times. So, anyway, we have a special guest this episode from the Solid Verbal Podcast. We've talked to him before. He's a great friend of the site. He's going to be purchasing a bunch of fighter shirts, hopefully, <laughs> somewhere in the near future. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ty Hildebrandt. Ty, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm, I'm buying a shirt right now. <laughs> yes. I'm See, serious. I'm on the site. I'm buying. I'm going to go with the Roar Lions Roar version, and I'll work my way up to a bunch of fighters. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ordering the uh, – it's the Roar, Roar – Roar, what is this? Roar Lions Roar Ghost shirt. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, one. yeah. I, I don't think I got that one. I think I got the other – uh, Keystone shirt, and I got the bunch of fighter shirt. But I, we, I hope, will, we hope to get yeah. these over on Touch of Modern soon enough. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Ty, what's going on, man? It's been a while since we talked to you. What's new? Well, I uh, I have a new shirt now, as of about three seconds ago, and um, so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Otherwise, we're uh, we're just getting ready for the season. We've been doing our five part preview. Dan and I have over at. Uh, SolidVerbal.com, our, our podcast. And uh, I'm excited to be back here talking some college football. I was talking some Penn State-specific college football uh, as we gear up for the season. Yeah, uh, it should be an excellent season in Happy Valley. And, of course, uh, we're having Ty on not just to talk about Penn State football. But we're also having him on to talk about pop-punk music. So, Ty, over on the episode <laughs> of the Solid Verbal where you guys – I took notes, man. I took in-depth notes about this, mostly because you said that my favorite band, Brand New, was musically superior to all the other bands of that generation. And I very much appreciated that. 
But, uh, yeah, so let's not actually talk about that. Let's talk about the stuff people actually want to hear about. That is Penn State football. And I think that since we have Ty on, and since Ty probably has a little better perspective on this stuff, because let's face it, Nick and I, we're, you know, we're, uh, we can sometimes tune out the negativity pretty well. But it seems to me, Ty, like a lot of the chatter about a potential James Franklin hot seat is not really coming from people in Happy Valley. It seems like it's coming more from people uh, who are maybe SEC football fans, who are maybe general football fans who see he's gone two years at a school that is known for having a pretty prestigious football history, seven and six both years. Maybe they think his hot seat is getting a little bit warm. Is that something that you would agree is happening and do you think that's fair or not for Franklin to face well all right so look th- there wasn't any bigger fan of the James Franklin hire than than me and you know I thought at the time that the enthusiasm that he brought to state college was imperative to move the program forward to keep building it in the wake of the obvious stuff after the scandal and certainly Bill O'Brien leaving after a relatively short period of time. I just thought we needed a program builder. I was willing to kind of overlook the fact that many people agreed in in football circles that he wasn't a great X's and O's coach. But in terms of recruiting, there was never any doubt that that Franklin had what it took. And now we're, you know, a couple years in and there's no doubt he's had to deal with just a, a disaster along his offensive line the whole Christian Hackenberg experiment, which I'm sure we could do like an eight-part podcast discussing in more (laughs) detail, that experiment didn't work. And so it just seemed like there was a lot out of sync there. And and so I think what we see, at least on our end, doing this and covering this from the national angle, um, it appears as if people from the outside in are looking at Penn State and kind of saying to themselves, like, is this going to happen or what's going on up there? And I don't think that's an unfair perspective to be honest as a Penn Stater I kind of feel like I'm in the same spot Um, you guys would probably have a better sense for the pulse of Nittany Nation when it comes to how the actual fans feel about James Franklin I think people are certainly pretty optimistic about the talent that he's brought in but you kind of come to a crossroads at some point and I kind of feel like this is the year where, where we get there where it's like We've heard so much about the talent now for the last couple seasons. It's the talent, the talent, the talent. At some point, James Franklin has to cultivate that talent into actual on-field results. And I, I would assume that this is probably the point where we start getting to that conversation. So from my standpoint, I, I don't know if it's fair to say he's on the hot seat per se, but we're getting there. And if he doesn't go, let's say, 8-4, and four, with some real improvement, tangible improvement that we as fans can see, then certainly as we enter 2017, the hot seat's a real thing. Interesting. Yeah, I think that that's about right. But Nick, uh, kind of what Ty said about the pulse of the Penn State community. Uh, I mean, you and I, we read a lot of stuff. We talk to a lot of people. And it does kind of seem like any um, any thought of Franklin being on a hot seat right now, it seems to be a bit premature. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, so I, I firmly fall in the camp of thinking that James Franklin deserves four years uh, to kind of get this program back on track, barring like a three or four win season, something ridiculous like that. Uh, but something that Matt Brown on our last podcast said kind of stuck with me about the whole we were talking about how it's unfortunate that this is the season that they play Pitt um, this, because it's such a big year for him and such a big year for his perception that uh, fans specifically they'll need to see a Pitt win in order to really the ones who aren't on board now if they see a Pitt loss from Franklin I don't think they'll ever be on board honestly but something he said is that he kind of put it on himself by I mean I like Ty said <clears throat> that opening press conference was unbelievable. Like I was, yeah. I was in the room and I wanted to run through a wall. I, when I, I got outside, I was waiting for my girlfriend to pick me up. I was like jumpy. Like I couldn't, it was, it was unbelievable. Like I've never been that pumped up in my life. Um, but dominate the state. He said, we want to dominate the state in everything that we do. And that includes beating teams like temple and Pitt. So I, the more I think about that aspect of his press conference and that aspect of what he's trying to do, it, I, I almost give a little benefit of the doubt to the people that want him on the hot seat now because, I mean, losing a Temple, granted, Temple was a pretty good team last year, and Penn State turned out to be pretty much the definition of average, but he's kind of put himself in this position almost by declaring that, and I feel like the general feeling around people in the know is that he shouldn't he shouldn't be on a hot seat right this second but if he has a rough first month with Pitt and Temple on the schedule and recruiting going better lately but not where it should be aside from the 2018 class right now um, then I think it's almost starting to get to the point where it is fair to start thinking a little bit about him hmm. about his seat warming up a little bit interesting interesting and kind of the next thing that I have on the agenda here is basically just talking about so far two years well heading into the third year of the James Franklin era what has gone right and what has gone wrong and I th would argue I we're going to forget about recruiting for a second because recruiting has gone right in just about every way I mean there have been a few guys that Penn State has missed on there have been a few decommitments and flips stuff like that whatever that happens to every program if you're in a position where you're getting recruits and schools are still going after them that's actually a pretty good thing because that means you're getting some really talented dudes that other schools want to get their hands on but let's just talk about the football aspect of things uh, so far, I think that uh, the things that have gone right more have to do with the fact that Penn State, it, the, the highs have been really high for this program over the last few years. And under Franklin, while they haven't necessarily always translated to, say, wins, like the Ohio State game in 2014, it seems like we have seen flashes of a program that I would argue, is heading in the right direction. And where it's gone wrong is that hasn't been consistent. We've seen things like the Temple game. Uh, they haven't had a competitive game under Michigan State, under Franklin. Uh, uh, there's the Temple game. I can't mention that enough because that was one of the worst experiences <laughs> of my adult life. So There's also the Temple game. Yes, there is also the Temple game. So, Ty, what do you think have been... Uh, if there's one thing you have to point to as the one thing on the field that has really gone right for Franklin, what would you say that is? Well, if you're not letting me answer recruiting, 
that, that's a little <laughs> yeah. unfair to be fair but um you know i defensively i guess i guess you look at defense the the, the whole thing with bob shoop leaving is is a big blow i think to james franklin but while he was in state college bob shoop was an outstanding defensive coordinator the defensive line last year between Nassib, Zettel, and Johnson was, quite frankly, incredible. And you, we will notice their departure this season as well. I, I just don't see how you can look at the defense and not look at that as like a huge success story for him. Beyond that, um, can I answer recruiting? Are you going to let me answer recruiting now? <laughs> Fine. As, go, go ahead as, and answer as, recruiting. Yeah, I mean, recruiting has been strong, as you know. And I think he really has built and optimism outside the program within the program all that stuff is is gravy for sure um you know i am curious to see what we have at quarterback this season perhaps if trace mcsorley is the answer or i don't know tommy stevens somebody else i i am going to currently list him as incomplete when it comes to quarterback i'm just going to banish the whole christian hackenberg thing from this discussion he has talent to pick from, and provided he can capitalize and cultivate that talent, then then I'm willing to maybe look at him in a little bit more of an optimistic sense. Uh, I like the hire of Joe Moorhead for offensive coordinator. I think that represents uh, a move in a positive direction. I'm still not convinced, and I, I'm actually not at all convinced, that he ever wanted to get rid of John Donovan, but... If he's, if he's going to bring somebody else in, I, I think the Moorhead hire is a, a really strong one and represents Penn State's offense going in a new direction. So I feel like, as a whole, Franklin's a guy with a vision. Thus far, the, the real detriment to him as head football coach at Notre Dame has been in execution. And I'm just hoping now that as we turn the page and, and move forward that he can kind of get us to stage two of whatever vision he has for this program. And where would you say that if there's one thing that you think has gone wrong so far during his tenure, has it been just a lot of things about the offense coming together, like, uh, say, Christian Hackenberg yeah. and the offensive line and um, John Donovan and things of that nature? For sure. I uh, The offense has been a huge thorn in every Penn State fan's side, and you know whether it's the answer to this question or not it it you just watch the games right you, if you watch the game uh, at all over the last couple seasons it just didn't feel like this team had any kind of real identity and that's frustrating as a fan especially knowing that you've got a lot of talent on that side of the football didn't help that you had the offensive line that we did that didn't help but still plenty of talent didn't feel like there was any real um continuity from drive to drive from play to play and because of that they had a hard time competing against some of the better teams and I think a harder time than they should have of putting away some of the teams that they should have put away a lot earlier in games uh, so yeah offense for me that that aspect of their identity was really lacking yeah Nick uh, do you agree with all of that yeah I, I yeah I do um, I think specifically the one thing that uh it's not really on the field, but I definitely agree with Ty's point about uh, good, strong coaching hires. I really love all the hires that James Franklin made this past offseason. I mean, Joe Moorhead has a great resume, speaks for itself. It should be a really fun offense to watch. I really, really liked the hire of Coach Limegrover 
Uh, I know that a lot of Minnesota fans would are probably glad to be rid of him as their offense coordinator. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, we're going to have to check some Minnesota yeah, message but, boards after but, this because they may get kind of mad at you. But they had a, a pretty makeshift offensive line last year, and they were still ranked pretty highly in terms of protection. Um, and then I, I really like the Tim Banks hire as well just because that's adding another uh, area of expertise for recruiting, that Chicago area. So... I, I agree that kind of Franklin's main strength is being that program visionary, and I hopefully his on-field, in-game management improves, particularly with timeouts. Um, but I still think that he has them pointed in the right direction. Yeah, I'm glad you actually brought up the coaches because that was uh, kind of the last thing we're going to talk about before we get into the actual football portion of this podcast, which cannot come soon enough, and that's. Uh, just mentioning that Penn State, you know, they lost they lost Bob Shoup, who uh, went down to be the head coach at Tennessee when Butch Jones gets fired after halfway through the season. They lost <laughs> Herb Hand, who went down to Auburn to go down with the Gus Malzahn ship that I guess. And they brought in a bunch of really interesting hires, of guys who have resumes uh, as offensive coordinators, as head coaches, stuff of that nature. And Joe Moorhead at OC, Matt Limegrover at uh, offensive line, Tim Banks at uh, safeties, and Brent Pride now promoted to the linebacker coach. Plus, Ricky Ronnie moved over to coach tight ends. And promoted t- from linebacker Promoted coach. from, my apologies. So, Ty, uh, what were your thoughts on those hires? And uh, we'll say outside of Moorhead, just because, you know, Moorhead's kind of the rock star of the group. Was there one hire that really, or one move uh, coaching-wise that really stuck out to you? I, I agree with Nick on the Lime Grover hire. I think that was a great move. Um, you know, it offensive line's been a, a huge problem for Penn State. Again, we're not sharing any trade secrets here. You watch the games, you watch Christian Hackenberg dusting off his jersey, you'll know that offensive line has just been such a huge problem. No continuity, really, from game to game. Now, you know, I, I, I liked Herb Hand a lot. I think Herb Hand did the best he could with the talent available, but hopefully now we're entering a stage where Penn State's able to bring in some of that freshman talent, able to use it appropriately along the line ASAP, and Lime Grover's a guy who's done good things in the past with that with that unit in particular that I feel like if you're going to go out and get an offensive line guy, that's, that's probably the direction to go. So I, I feel pretty good about that one. Um, I would say above the others, um, you know, you mentioned Joe Moorhead. Obviously, that's that's something we're all excited about, and I think Brent Pry will be okay at defensive coordinator. But really, if I'm if I'm forced to pick one, I I think Lime Grover is probably the answer. Awesome, um, and Lime Grover is a good uh, jumping off point to get us into. Uh, talking about the 2016 Penn State football team and how it is going to perform on the field. Let's start by talking about the offense. And Nick, we'll start with you, and there's a reason that I said Lime Grover is a good jumping-off point because the first thing we are going to talk about is what is the biggest question mark on Penn State's offense? Yeah, while quarterback is definitely giving them a run for their money, it has to be the offensive line. Uh, They... Uh, there, uh, there's definitely good signs with the offensive line. I mean, uh, Coach Lamgrover said in an interview the other day, he's ta- they, were, they were asking him questions about what the starting line will be, obviously, and he didn't really give any concrete answers, but he said that 
three things he said, or two things. He all he said was for sure was that Brendan Mayen and Andrew Nelson would both be starting on the line. And to me, and Brendan Mayen's going to be starting at left tackle now. We've seen him at right guard, at right tackle, pretty much all over the line. And he is now listed as the starting left tackle for the team. And they really, really like Andrew Nelson. Like, he's been a consistent force at tackle for the last few years. And if they felt comfortable enough to keep him, move him back over to right tackle, that tells me that Brendan Mayen must be showing them something in practice. And, I mean, he has the pedigree. He was a four-star kid coming out of high school. Like, the talent has always been there. But it's really encouraging to see him kind of grabbing that I, hopefully he stays there all season, but it's encouraging to see him kind of taking that step forward. But then you definitely have to have some question marks about the interior of the line right now. Uh, left guard is going to be redshirt freshman Ryan Bates, who it was again was another four-star kid and is a fantastic run blocker. Um, haven't seen exactly what he'll what he'll kind of be there, but then you have Brian Guy at center. It looks like it's going to be Derek Dowry at right guard. So it's those same two guys we've seen for a few years now. By all accounts, Guy has taken a lot better to center than he has at guard, so hopefully we'll see improvement there. But even though it's a lot of familiar faces on the line and a lot of guys that we've and guys like Ryan Bates that we've heard a lot about, you have to still be a little uneasy about that. Yeah, uh, I think I would agree with that. For me, the biggest question mark, uh, and this kind of taking this question in a different direction, is that I just want to see how this team... Uh, will adapt to Joe Moorhead's offense because by all accounts it seems like it's a pretty stark difference from what we saw out of John Donovan during his two years at Penn State which is a good thing don't get me wrong getting this new this breath of fresh air in there is awesome getting an offense that is going to try and play fast as opposed to you know the slow plotting pace that we saw out of Penn State last year it's going to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands all that is great my big concern is that, and this kind of goes back to the discussion we had about James Franklin's hot seat. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Penn State has three pretty big games to start the year at Pitt, Temple, at Michigan. If, uh, and I don't think this is going to happen, but if Penn State loses all three of those games and the offense isn't clicking and... Uh, the defense, basically no matter what it does, I'm going to start getting pretty concerned because some people are going to start getting really, really loud about whether James Franklin can get it done, whether or not Joe Moorhead was a good hire at offensive coordinator. Just a lot of really knee-jerk reactionary stuff that probably isn't fair, but when you, again, dominate the state, you have to beat Pitt, you have to beat Temple. You want to show that this is a program that can compete in the Big Ten. You, ha you have to go into Michigan and not get embarrassed. And I think that that second thing is a lot easier to write off if the first thing, two things don't happen. And I think the way that happens is if the offense starts clicking. I think that if we see a Penn State team, even if it loses to Michigan, but the offense looks like it has a pulse as opposed to, you know, how it has the past two years. I think most people would generally be fine with that. If they lose to Pitt and Temple because they're not putting enough points on the board, I'm going to start getting pretty nervous. Uh, Ty, what's the biggest question mark for you heading into this season? Three big questions. Nick addressed the offensive line. Okay. That's a big one. We've talked ad nauseum about the offensive line. 
The defensive line to me is concerning. I mentioned it earlier. Oh, we'll we'll see. We're going to get to the defense in a second. We'll just talk about offense right now. You want to talk about offense? Okay, I'm going uh, out ahead of my brain here. Quarterback is is obviously a big deal as well. It dictates the kind of system that Joe Moorhead's going to run. Right now, we don't know a whole lot about that. Right? We don't. We we've seen what he did at at Fordham. I think we're all pretty optimistic about what he could do at Penn State, but. Ultimately, the skill sets of the quarterback that is ultimately uh, you know, chosen to be the starter, that's going to dictate a lot, too. You mentioned some of the games early in the year, and you're 100% right. Your two home games in the month of September are against Kent State on September 3rd, and then Temple two weeks later. I think both those games should be winnable. Yes, yes, I, I hope we're all nodding here. I, Temple should be a solid team again, but they're not going to be as good as last year. Yes. It's the other two games that I agree with you are of utmost concern. Pitt and certainly Michigan, for all intents and purposes, could be losses. Michigan's going to be a top 10 team. They already are a top 10 team. If I'm looking at that game realistically, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably a loss. Michigan's going to be pretty loaded across the board. Some questions on offense for them, but defensively they should be pretty sound. The Pitt game to me is the early bellwether. And, you know, you go to Pitt, which I'm not going to pretend is some sort of lion's den to play in, but Pitt brings a ton of talent back, and I just feel like that's going to be a really difficult challenge for a Penn State team that early in the season is still trying to find its way. So if they can't get their offensive line in order, if they can't figure out how to use their quarterback and, let's be honest, get the ball to Saquon Barkley, or Chris Godwin for that matter, it could potentially be a two and two start, and that's when that's when the natives start getting restless. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if I have so much more in the way of new information to add. Offensive line is is the big one. Yeah, you know, offensive line and quarterback for sure. It, it's gonna it's gonna mean everything in in the early going and the first four weeks of the season. Uh, I have on here uh, the next thing, the thing you're most confident about, but I think we can all agree that it's that Penn State skill position guys are just insanely talented so I, I mean am I wrong on this no I think between the running back depth and talent and the wide receiver depth and talent you got to feel great about the skill positions it's just a matter of is there going to be a lane that Barkley can run through up front and by the way if last year proved anything he doesn't always need a lane exactly because he's so, exactly so incredibly elusive but uh, it would help if he had better blocking up front. And then beyond that is the quarterback, whoever that quarterback is, not only going to have time to throw, but then have an accurate enough arm to get it to the playmakers out wide. But skill talent-wise, they should be pretty sound. Yeah, uh, Nick, you agree with all that. I mean, like, I don't know. I Maybe outside of saying that uh, Mike Gusecki resurgence is going to happen, like, I don't think there's any any like hot take we could really have about Penn State's skill position guys being as deep and as talented as really anyone else other than maybe the mutants that Ohio State has in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, they're they're pretty well set at the skill positions. Yeah. They're they're the level of talent isn't what it is at Ohio State, but it's and it won't be for a while with the 2017 recruiting class they're bringing in, but <laughs> it's 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 getting it's pretty close. They have a very very good stable of offensive skill position talent. 
They do. Good. Uh, and Ty, we'll start with you on the last thing before we move on to defense. What is the ceiling for this Penn State offense in 2016? And I don't want to say this because we've seen this for the last two years, but what is the floor? Wow, the floor. I, I mean, I guess the floor would be that, that Coach Lime Grover isn't able to get the offensive line playing as a cohesive unit. And unfortunately, we're at the point now, kind of on the heels of our discussion about Coach Franklin, that we start talking about the floor in terms of wins or losses, not necessarily in terms of whether or not a unit's improving. Um, the floor, to me, just in terms of the schedule, would represent probably a loss to Pitt, a loss to Michigan and Ohio State at, at a bare minimum. And then late in the year, you're looking at games like Iowa, you're looking at games like Michigan State. Um, you know, you're looking at a game somewhere in the middle there, maybe Indiana, which is a tough road game between, I believe, Iowa and Rutgers. Um, yeah, I guess the floor for this team might be like six and six if things don't come together along the offensive line, if quarterback doesn't materialize. And, uh, you know, we're going to mention a little bit more about defense here in a second, I'm sure. But um, I, I think that's an incredibly pessimistic view. Yeah. I, I don't think this is a 6-6 six six team. I, I tend to veer more towards the side of uh, uh, anywhere between 7-5 and five and 9-3. and three. Ooh, okay. But um, if you really want to examine the absolute floor, 6-6 six and six might might be the... Uh, might be the bare minimum in terms of wins for this team if if all goes wrong on the offense which basically means you know the quarterback situation isn't able to figure itself out and the offensive line is the offensive line that we've had to sit through for the last few years more or less yeah oh god uh i, I really hate that we had uh we had to hear somebody say that i mean it's absolutely true but it's um not anything close to something i'd like to talk about uh so nick what is the absolute ceiling for penn state's offense is it an offense that with all the skill position talent it has it's maybe able to get into say the top three four five of the big 10 yeah i think so i mean if they can if they can install more heads and i know it's not it's not going to be more heads exact offense from fordham i think we saw a quote that said something it's like 80 percent of what of that playbook or something along those lines uh but I think there's I don't see any reason why they can't get into the upper echelon of the Big Ten in terms of offense. They have the skill positions to do it. They have the defense isn't as good as it's been in years past, but it's good enough to kind of, it's good enough to put their offense in better positions on the field. The special team should improve and help that as well. Uh, but I think that the offense has plenty of potential to be pretty great. I mean, I'd say the for me personally, the visual floor for the offense would be kind of what it looked like in the first half of the bowl game against Georgia. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they, I, I mean, either one between Trace McSorley, Trace McSorley or my boy Tommy Stevens, either one I think should be able to run this offense just fine. And really, the way it's designed, it's almost, it's almost Bill O'Brien-ish in a way. It's a lot of quick rhythm passes. It's just getting the ball out to the guys that can make things happen with it. And I think that's i mean especially for the team that penn state has right now that's a pretty perfect recipe for what they need to be doing so i don't see any reason why they can't be one of the top offensive teams in the big 10 as a ceiling so let, let's look at it in terms of this guys okay if you look out across the the big 10 okay who are your top offenses in the big 10 this year for my money 
Ohio State for sure. Mm-hmm. Ton of turnover, but they'll still have a pretty good offense. Absolutely. Indiana. Indiana is going to have a ton of firepower because that's They're pretty Indiana. much all. Yeah. All Kevin Wilson does. Yep. Michigan's got a lot coming back. I think by default, even though their offense isn't what we thought of last year, I think with all of their returning talent and certainly with Jim Harbaugh getting maybe his guy in there a quarterback this year, I I would expect them to take a pretty big leap forward. Yeah, beyond that, who that. Ta- beyond that, who are we talking about in terms of offenses? Wisconsin's got a new quarterback. I don't I don't really expect much from them. Um, Nebraska. I think kind of falls into the category of Iowa, of Michigan State, and maybe of Penn State, in, in just in terms of like those four teams that come after Ohio State, Indiana, and Michigan. If Penn State can somehow bubble to the surface of that tier of offenses in the Big Ten, I think that's I think that's a reasonable expectation given their skill talent, and that definitely gives us as fans something to feel really optimistic about as we progress forward through 2017 and beyond. The question, though, is how skeptical is too skeptical or how optimistic is too optimistic? Because I want to be optimistic. I want to say this is like the fourth best offense in the Big Ten. I want to look at the schedule and say that six and six is just preposterous to even fathom. But the truth is that there are a lot of variables here. And if yes. you're trying to think about it logically, the offensive line hasn't shown a whole lot in, in recent years. Um, the quarterback position, despite having Christian Hackenberg, who was all-world everything his freshman year, hasn't really produced in the last couple years. So skill talent aside, there, there's plenty of reason to doubt and plenty of reason to be skeptical. Um, but I, I think realistically, you, you look at the Big Ten, can you have a top four or five offense? I, I would say that's pretty good. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I would too. And even if the offense doesn't get to uh, that point, which, you know, I am sacrificing a goat to the sun god hoping that happens, at least Penn State these past few years has had a really good defense that it could lean on when the offense wasn't getting the job done. Uh, so, Ty, because I think you want to – just start bursting with confidence about something. With this defense, what is the single thing that you were the most confident about? Um, well, I, I I like their their depth in the secondary. Oh yeah. I think that will bode well for them. Um it's really tough to ignore some of the losses along the defensive line. I'm sure we're gonna discuss that, but if I'm gonna hang my hat on anything, I think secondary depth is is a pretty big one. The, the problem I have, the reason I'm not more confident about it is because I, I look at the schedule and it's just not teeming with teams that I think are going to attack Penn State through the air. You know, Michigan's Michigan's going to be pretty balanced. They're going to try to throw, but they're going to be pretty balanced. Um, certainly Minnesota, Maryland, uh, Iowa, Michigan State. These aren't like teams that are going to air it out against Penn State. There are teams that I think are are probably going to going to try and run it a little bit more. And so that's why I worry more about the defensive line, but certainly in a case where there are passing opportunities, I feel pretty good about Penn State's opportunities or what am I saying here? Penn State's chances to uh defend against those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I agree completely. I think I've been uh kind of hammering the John Reed is going to take a big big step in his second year drum uh 
I think Grant Haley, uh, outside of the performance against Northwestern, which he's, you know, he's gotten a lot of flack for that. I still think he's a really good cornerback. I think there's a ton of talent at safety. I think there's a ton of young talent that it should be able to step in really in a number of positions in the secondary. And if teams want to throw on Penn State, I think they're going to find some issues there. Um, last year, uh, though, that was because I, teams had so much trouble throwing at times because Penn State had you know, four defensive linemen that were constantly getting pressure on the quarterback, which uh, Nick, when we look at the one thing that is probably the biggest question mark, and Ty hit on this a bit, it's that there's, I would have no idea what this defensive line is really outside of Garrett Sickles is a good defensive end. Yeah, there's no denying that there's talent along the defensive line. I mean, you have guys like, Kevin Givens, who have flashed potential to be a devastating pass rusher from the inside. Guys like Antoine White, uh, Curtis and Parker Cothran that we've seen uh, in spot duty from time to time. Garrett Sickles, like you mentioned. Evan Schwan we've seen here and there. Guys with good pedigrees, four-star pedigrees like Ryan Buckholes and... uh, I mean, there's a whole Shane Simmons coming in now. There's definitely talent along that defensive line, but you have you're kidding yourself if you say it's not a question mark right now. Uh, it's a lot of guys, and there was a clear drop off last year when Penn State brought that second team defensive line in, which is no insult considering yeah. that you were talking about a second round pick in Austin Johnson, a second round pick or third round pick in Carl Nassib, and a sixth round pick in Anthony Zettel. Like, there's no, it's no insult to say that you're not as good as those three NFL players now, uh, but there's definitely uh, a need for those guys to prove themselves this year. It's it's definitely a transition and i mean if there's one thing penn state's proven in the last however many years it's that they're very good at reloading along the defensive line when jared odrick left everyone thought they were going to be screwed and then they got devin still devin still left and then jordan hill popped up jordan hill left or actually and we skipped daquan no no jordan hill left then daquan jones came in daquan jones left and then austin johnson anthony zettel came i mean they've, they've proven over and over and over again that they'll reload but at least with those reloads happen, there was a guy you could at least point to be like, ah, he might be the guy that's going to take a step forward. There's not really a clear-cut guy like that on this defensive line. And one of those guys could step up and kind of take on that mantle. It could be a trio of guys. could be all four. Who knows? But it's the fact that we're having that conversation kind of proves the fact that it's definitely a question mark heading into the season. Yeah, uh, I think I'd agree with all that. And one thing that we haven't really gotten a chance to touch on is the fact that Penn State, if one linebacker of its three starting linebackers, uh, Jason Gabinda, Naeem Wartman, White, and Brandon Bell, go down with any kind of serious injury, which, I mean, Wartman White's coming off of a torn ACL, and Bell has uh, kind of become known for being up and down with his health, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, when he's on the field, he's dynamic, but it's all about not picking up the little stingers and whatnot that take him off, or at least that what we all assume is the issue. Uh, I I like uh, Manny Bowen. I like Jake Cooper. There are some young guys there, but I uh, outside of that, it's 
Uh, I mean, there's a legitimate reason to be concerned. Uh, although Penn State could always go to some funky lineup where it has two linebackers and a whole bunch of defensive backs in. So I guess there are much worse problems to have. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Ty, do you think, and this is, I think, the big question that we kind of need to ask with this defense, how big of a step should do you think that this defense ends up taking backwards? And... Or is there a step that's going to that's going to come? Can we expect this defense to be a you know top? I, I think it was in the top five or top ten of S and P plus last year. Sh- should we expect that again, or should we lower the bar a little bit? I th- well, a couple different ways to answer that. I think anytime again you lose the kind of production you're losing along your defensive line, you just have to expect some kind of step backwards. And Nick, you're 100 percent right. It's not any kind of disrespect yeah. to the incoming unit if you say, oh, you're not as good as Carl Nassib, Anthony Zettel, and Austin John. Like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Those guys were really, really good. And as it were, it, while it's a problem for the defensive line, it was like a huge deal last season. That pass rush, what they were able to do against the run. I mean, this is what made the defense what it was a year ago. So it's just going to take time for the new guys to kind of work their way in to mesh with one another and to again form a really sound defensive front you guys are right this has not been Penn State's downfall over the past few years they always find ways to kind of replenish the line replenish the front seven replenish the secondary Penn State's been really good at this in the past the problem that I see and that I I think this could kind of stem back into our discussion about James Franklin and hot seats and whatnot, but progress is not always something that translates to a, a win-loss record. And we saw it in recent years at Tennessee. We've seen it at places like Arkansas. Uh, a whole host of colleges go through this where there is a unit on the field that does get better, but because it's not improving quick enough, or because their opponents are just really good on one side of the football, it just doesn't translate. And that's kind of what I worry about with this team. I, I look at that pick game. Again, such an early bellwether for what to expect from Penn State this season. Pitt may not be the best team in the ACC, although some people think they could be. I, I think that's a little a little oh, too yeah. optimistic. Okay, But there's a lot to like about Pitt. They've got a great ground game led by James Conner. They've got an experienced quarterback in Nate Peterman. They've got a good and experienced offensive line, um, a ton of stuff on defense, which we won't even talk about. But at least on offense, a a lot to like, right? And my fear is that they could, well, give the ball to James Conner 25 to 30 times. And because Penn State's defensive line hasn't quite figured itself out yet in week two, it's going to look like they're getting blown off the line. It's going to look like these guys don't know what they're doing. And my hunch is that we're going to see an entirely different defensive line, an entirely different front seven between the start of the season and and the end of the season. What I worry about is that by the end of the season, how many losses is that going to equate to? And I I think there's going to be one against Pitt. It wouldn't surprise me if they go to Pitt and end up losing that game. Not necessarily because Pitt is so much a better team, but just because they're still trying to figure themselves out up front that it's it's just going to take more time. 
And so I, I guess my roundabout answer to the question is, I don't quite know what the ceiling is for this defensive unit. I think they're going to get better. I think they're going to be fine moving forward. I, I, there's certainly talent, as, as you guys have alluded, but I don't know if we're going to see it in such a manner that it translates to wins. Does all that make sense? Because it's sort of yeah. a, a roundabout way of saying that Penn State could be a lot better than their record would indicate, depending on how things go. Yeah, and you're basically. It seems like you're basically saying that, and the Penn State team that takes the field on. Uh, uh, I'm bad with dates, so let me look at this up. September third against Kent State, and the Penn State team that takes the field on November 26th against Michigan State could very well end up being two completely different teams, and a lot of that has to do with just the maturation of things like the defensive line, which. I think that's fair. I think that is also why uh, I've, I and others have said about 500,000 times that if the pit game was like four weeks later, I'd feel far more comfortable about it. But unfortunately, that's just not something that we could do. So, but what we can do is we can stake our reputation on predicting the record of the Penn State football team in 2016 here on August 22nd, 2016. So, Nick, I'm going to start with you. Penn State's record, Penn State's biggest win, and Penn State's worst loss, if they have a worst loss. Okay, so my record prediction, I've been pretty much in the 8-4 and four camp from the end of last season. If I take a look at it, I see wins over Kent State. I For now, I'm going to say a win over Pitt, Temple, Minnesota, Maryland, Purdue, Iowa. Oh crap. Okay, I haven't I haven't a nine and three. Just kidding. Jesus All right. Man. So I'm I'm gonna look at it. I'm gonna say nine and three. I'm gonna be optimistic because I I don't know. I I feel strangely optimistic about that pit game. I almost feel like they they are the like Penn State's definitely in the worst position in that game. Like there's not a lot they gain from that game. But it feels like Pitt is almost putting they they could get in a position where they're almost putting too much pressure on themselves to win that game. It's there it's kind of like a getting too hyped up scenario yeah. which I, I I mean is hard in a stadium like Heinz Field when you're 50% full half the time and there'll be 75% Penn State fans there. Um but I I I don't know. Right it changes every day honestly whether I think we're going to win or lose that game. But right now I'm going to say win. So I I guess by default I have them going 9 and 3. So I guess either that pit game or Iowa, I think, will be the biggest win of the season. Uh, I think Iowa, the night game environment, I think, it'll, first of all, it's going to be a really cool environment. I think they've talked about doing a stripe out for that game, oh, uh, which looked really which which looked really cool against Rucker. I might just be completely making that up. I'm not sure. But I, I think that I really like Iowa. I love C.J. Beathard. I really, really do. But I think by that point in the season... Um, Penn State will have enough to be able to take them down at home. So I think that is probably the one of those two is the biggest win. Um, and then worst loss, I mean, I guess I mean, for by me, the I, of it, the, yeah, I have Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, get, I could see the Michigan game getting ugly, so it could be worst in that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean... It the pessimistic side of me could very easily, like Ty's been saying, see a six and six season, in yeah. which losses to Temple or Indiana, those would be 
very those are very easily qualify as worst losses. So yeah, I don't know. It's this is a terrifying season as a Penn State fan. And I go back and forth every single day on what I think is going to happen. Yeah, uh, Ty, what about you? Record biggest win, and if there's a worst loss, what would it be? Yeah, well, I'm I'm in the eight and four camp. Um, if it's possible to be in the seven and a half and four and a half camp, I'm <laughs> I'm somewhere in there. I see I see an early season loss to Pitt. I think Pitt just has too much coming back. I feel like they will be better organized in week two than Penn State will be. And it helps that that game is home. Your point about it being largely a Penn State crowd is probably very valid. But I just feel like Pitt's going to be too experienced and too too ready to go at that point in time. I'm counting that as a loss. I am counting a road tilt against Michigan as a loss as well. But I think that game will be closer than it looks on paper because Penn State and Michigan always play tight games. Ohio State at home is interesting to me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ohio State has a ton of variables as well. They could truly be boomer bust this season. And it's not because they've got a bad team. It's just because when you have a dozen guys drafted in the first four rounds of the NFL draft, sometimes it takes a bit to reassemble the pieces. Now, what hurts Penn State in that game is that it occurs later in the year. I feel like by that point in the season, Urban Meyer is going to have Ohio State humming. Still going to be a pretty, a pretty um, potent team, but uh, just so many variables at this point, tough to really fix in on what they're going to look like. I still think that's a loss for Penn State. So that's three. And, you know... Here's where we get to like seven and a half, eight and a half, however many halves you want to start looking at on that schedule. Uh, I could see them losing to Michigan State later in the year. That to me seems doable. I could see them losing at Indiana. So I'm mm. going to say they lose one of those two. I'll say eight and four with a loss on the road at Pitt, on the road against Michigan, home against Ohio State, and then either on the road against Indiana or or at home to close out the year against Michigan State. So those are my four losses. Biggest win probably probably at home against Iowa. Yeah. Iowa should still be a pretty solid team. Could be interesting to see what Michigan State is by that point in the season. Um, not sure if that's going to be the loss for Penn State or if it's going to come on the road against Indiana. I, I kind of feel like there's a dumb one in there, so maybe let's say Indiana. Okay. Um, but yeah. I, I'd say home against Iowa or Michigan State for biggest win. I, I mean, it's not crazy to imagine a scenario in which a Penn State team, fresh off of the high of beating Iowa at home, uh, suddenly goes to Indiana to play an Indiana team that's going to play at 10,000 miles an hour and basically make defense not a factor. Uh, so one of those games where it's just whichever team has the ball last probably ends yeah. up winning. So at least so like I, I there I think there are a lot of Penn State fans who go, hey, it's crazy to anticipate that that could ever happen. But I I mean it doesn't seem too totally out there that something like that happens. And I'm kind of with tie on this that I wish I could say seven and a half and four and a half because I. One, I think Penn State loses to Pitt, which I hate saying, and every time I say it, I feel myself die inside just a little bit more. But I also think that, and I, 
I mean, Matt Brown mentioned this on the last episode of the podcast. Penn State has three games. Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan State. Those are all Big Ten games at home. At least two of them are kicking off at 8 p.m. We, I think that, and I say this with all the love in the world, Iowa fans, so please don't get mad at me. I think that Iowa takes a bit of a step back this year, and I don't think that's too crazy of a statement to make. And then Ohio State, like you said, that's a young football team that's going to be coming off of a road trip to Wisconsin and while Wisconsin isn't going to be all that great of a team that's still not a that that still is the potential to be a game where they just hit Ohio State in the mouth for 60 minutes and a banged up OSU team comes into Happy Valley against a rested Penn State team that's coming off of a bye so I I want I'm going to say seven and five mostly based in my own pessimism um but I can very easily see eight and four. I could very easily see nine and three. I could very easily see six and six. And I don't want to say five and seven with a loss to Temple because that's the doomed today scenario. But I mean, there are just so many things on the table. And it'll be interesting to come back and listen to this conversation, read all the conversations that have been happening over the last uh, however many uh, weeks, months, the last year or so. And just seeing what we thought in August, in July, in all that, and seeing where the program is in however many months, seeing how safe James Franklin is in however many months, just all those little things. And I think that Penn State may be one of the most intriguing teams in the country for that reason. I have no idea um, anything that's going to happen because I'm an idiot and trying to guess things is usually something I'm bad at, but there are a lot of reasons to think that this team maybe could be good, a lot of reasons to think this team maybe could be bad, and I swear to God we really need the season to get here. What we also need is for this (laughs) podcast to end on a high note, so I'm going to turn things over to Nick for a second as he's going to play a game in which he Uh, reads through... You know what, Nick? I'll I'll let you do all the uh, all the talking here because I'm because I have no idea what any of these questions are either. Sure. Okay. So on Ty's podcast, the Solid Verbal, which is excellent, you should go listen to it right after you finish this. Uh, there was one episode. I I don't remember exactly when it was, uh, but he and uh, his co-host Dan Rubenstein were talking about the. Are one of our favorite Twitter accounts, uh, Real Pen Live comments. Oh, the and, best! They're the best. They're they're fantastic. I mean, it is. If you don't follow them, go follow them right now. What but what they do is they basically the people who comment on Pen Live. Some of them are complete lunatics, and what this Twitter account does is they just take comments from random articles on there uh, with no context whatsoever, and they just post them as tweets. And some of them are just the most un believable things it, it honestly seems like they're the twitter accounts making them up and yet they're not which is unbelievable so right now because ty and dan so often play game shows on the solid verbal we're gonna put ty through a little game show right here called real pen live comment or not now i i you... love this idea and by the way i should add <laughs> uh, i am in my home studio i actually have my soundboard hooked up where i've got the uh, the buzzer from family feud Oh. And the bell from Family Feud. Ooh, so I'm, I'm willing to contribute those sound <laughs> yeah, drops go ahead, man. this oh, evening boy. if you uh, if you would indulge oh. me. It's good Absolutely. Okay. Now, 
this we won't get the full effect because a lot some of these comments uh you ca- you have to see the way they're written there's misspellings and random exclamation points oh of course of course el- ellipses that just have a few too many dots on them uh but i tried to choose the ones that translate pretty well just in speaking so here's the first one <clears throat> number 1 i don't understand franklin Mr. Mouth boasted he would dominate the state and dominate the region. This yum yum is a joke. Wow. Um, how is how is calling someone yum yum a thing? yum yum right? It, that that's what the yum, that's yum. like the sauce they give you at hibachi. <laughs> wow. Um. He called him Mr. Mouth and a yum yum. See, I just don't feel like people want to write that on the internet. Um. But it is pen live, yeah, so I was gonna say, consider I'm going to say that's a real comment. You I are correct, also, sir. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yes. So. <laughs> one yeah, for even, one. even I couldn't come up with a comment that ridiculous. That's what I'm thinking. Like <laughs> you're probably the one who came up with the fake ones, and uh, you don't strike me as a Mr. Mouth or Yum Yum kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I I'll take that as a compliment. Yes. Yeah. Number two. Really no debate for me. A vote for Hillary might as well be a vote for Mark Emmert. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I'm going to say fake. Oh, you got it. <laughs> two for two, baby. Two for two. All right. Number three. What's the point in even bothering to recruit if all we get are three stars? I'd rather just have a team of walk-ons. By the way, this seems like a text <laughs> I have going with my friends right now. <laughs> Oh, I have I have real. a legit text thread going on with like four friends and every time there's a new recruit who announces he's, that he's going to Penn State um the joke is always that he's he's only a three star does does coach James <laughs> Franklin know that he's allowed to recruit four and five stars um <laughs> I'm I'm going to say that's real that is not real wow <sighs> all right are you guys, are you guys hearing anything no, are you I'm, guys yeah, hearing yeah. anything well, in the Penn agree, State yeah. community? Are people complaining about this? Oh, I thought you meant the buzzer and the and the <laughs> bell. <laughs> no, it was um, not the start thing. Do people complain I mean, about I that? Mean, like, on, on, I, on the internet? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I think that ninety nine percent of people are going like, oh yeah, like this is cool because people were really upset over the last uh, I don't even know how many months because Penn State went so long between the blue-white game and, like, beginning to mid-July without getting a single recruit. So the fact that they're starting to get some more, I think we haven't heard too many uh, stars people. But, yeah, I mean, these people are out there and they're, you know, existing. Okay. I feel like it helps a little bit that a lot of a lot of the guys that they have gotten lately that are three stars have been kids that have really impressive offer sheets along with yeah. that. So I feel like it's kind of balanced it a little bit. Okay. All right, where are we on number five? What reasons do the coaches give about this god awful current state of affairs we find ourselves in as it relates to recruiting? Ooh, timely. That that Ooh. is that is very eloquent. Ooh. Wow. Um, it's a contrarian viewpoint, which I respect the hell out of, but... <laughs> um, 
That's got to be fake, right? That is a real comment. Oh! Wow. <laughs> Who wrote that? <laughs> hold, hold on. Hold, yeah, can, can you, like, say that again really quickly? Yeah. What reasons do the coaches give about this god-awful current state of affairs we find ourselves in as it relates to recruiting? I mean, this is about as good as it's ever been, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, when has yeah. it ever been better than this in the recruiting side? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm I just going to look something up really quickly because um, if memory serves, Penn State's recruiting class is... Uh, yeah, third in the Big Ten and 19th nationally. So, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that is quite god, god awful, awful state current of state of affairs. Wow. Did, that per- did that person like mean to write on the Purdue message board instead? Because that seems like it would make a lot more sense. Damn, <laughs> that's cold. Yeah, and again, <laughs> all right, very eloquent. Oh yeah, no, it's be- one of the one of the most beautifully written comments I've ever seen on that account. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, I believe we're a three a three for five, I think, right now. I think is what yeah, you're yeah, three for five. Yeah, three for okay. Five. All right, here's num uh, number nine then eight. I don't know. I'm just gonna keep reading. All right, another five star for Ohio State. Enough with the snake oil salesman. Get a real coach in here who can recruit multiple five stars every year. Oh, another uh, lots one's... of recruiting stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. That's gotta Which be is... real. We, he, that yeah. is not real. Wow. This account has featured a lot of people basically saying, why no five stars? Why no five stars? But these are also probably, I would guess, 85% of these folks are the same ones who will scream stars don't matter. Um, just look at Matt McGloin or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. Man, we should just use these comments as like, the jumping off points for a normal podcast. Yeah, we should. Like you should you should have these guys on the podcast. No, Ty, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> All right, moving on. So Ty is currently three for six. Yeah, I believe here's that. the next one. Jay has coached two QBs that were all Big Ten. Oh no. He was a, he was oh, a no. good QB coach. That's gotta be real. Oh. That's gotta be real. <laughs> I didn't even get to finish it, but yes, you are correct. I was, that's uh, gotta yeah. be real because you know what? <laughs> you strike me, Nick Pollock. You strike me as a a genuine man, a, an all around nice guy, and I don't think you, in your heart of hearts, could ever write something yeah. so evil as to assume that Jake Jake Paterno was a good quarterback coach. Yeah, I was gonna say he'd I, have to go into like the darkest of dark recesses of his good mind hell. To, yeah, to, to give you a little perspective though on the kinds of athletes that I root for, on my wall right now above me there are four framed plaque, like four framed pictures. One is Russell Wilson because I'm a Seahawks fan. One is Felix Hernandez because I'm a Mariners fan. The other two are Penn State players. One of them is former All Everything backup quarterback Shane McGregor, and okay. the other is a very large signed photo of Rob Bolden. Yeah. Wow. This all sounds par for the course. Yeah. Is that is that a one of one limited edition? <laughs> I believe there are still five available. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So Ty is now four for six. Seven. All right. Four for six, I thought. Six? Four, yeah. Okay, four for six. Uh, so we have two more. Okay. I am a I am a PSU alum and have often said that Penn State would charge for toilet paper if they thought they could get away with it. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be true. It that's is. Be- yes. 
Oh. I'm back, baby. I am back. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I love this account so much. All right. Final question. Two, what are you, five for eight now, I think? Yeah. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> Final question. Wait, wait, wait. No, he's he's five for six. There are 12 questions. There's eight questions. We've done seven. He was, I don't know. He was four for six a second ago. All right, he's gotten five right. Let's just think okay, about it that good. way. Okay, good. All right, final question. Yes. If I can catch a Charizard in Pokemon Go, Franklin should be able to win ten games this year. Woo! Okay, okay. Pause here, Nick. <laughs> I'm, I'm on to you. Okay. <laughs> nobody, nobody reading Pen Live knows a damn thing about Pokemon Go. <laughs> no chance. All right, it's a wonder that it, they're probably still on baud modems, at least if they're commenting on this. So there is no chance in hell that's a real comment. That is not a real comment. Yes. <laughs> See, that's what you got to do, guys. You got to use your mind here, yeah. late at night, deductive <clears throat> reasoning to figure out these damn comments. I had I had to incorporate just because you talked about Pokemon Go on a recent episode, so I had to incorporate it somewhere. I appreciate that. I really do. You had me thinking there for a second, but I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a sec. <laughs> oh, I'm good. I, I stumped you a few times though. I'm, I'm you did. That was that was solid. I like that game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, I, when we have you back, we'll play again. I mean, we. I appreciate. May, I was gonna say we may have to do that every week. I mean, that's I'm, goodness. I may just blatantly steal that game for my show if that's no, cool. No, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Just give okay. us credit and tell people to buy T-shirts, and we'll happily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you can do whatever the hell you want. We don't care. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it for this edition of the pod. Uh, Ty, is there anything that you would like to uh, – anything you'd like to promote since you I, – I think that, that this needs to be a thing. If you get a cutoff of, like, five of those right, you're allowed to come onto the pod and take 30 seconds to promote whatever <laughs> you want. So, Ty, 30 <laughs> seconds to promote whatever you want to promote. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. I hope I didn't stammer too much here talking about uh, our beloved – Penn State and Indy Lions. Uh, I am excited about this season. I'm excited to cover this season over on my show. It's called The Solid Verbal. It's a college football podcast. We record once every Wednesday during the season where we preview the games and then once again on Sundays to review all the action. We'll do that all throughout the season. And then even in the offseason, we record once a week, talk about all things college football. Um, free to listen. SolidVerbal.com. We're over on SB Nation. You can find us at Facebook.com slash SolidVerbal and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter. And we're all over the place. Basically, if you like college football, stop on by. It's free and all are welcome. Thank you. Awesome. And it's glorious. Yeah, definitely. Everything from college football to pop punk is covered over the over the full cat. What <laughs> else could you possibly need in this cold and messed up world in which we live? That's um, all you need in life, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think that is it for this edition of the podcast. As always, thank you very much for uh, sitting here and listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Nick read real and fake things that he found on a Twitter account that a buddy of ours started on a whim one night. Uh, make sure you follow at RealPenLive because if, I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't you? You kind of kind of deserves your love at this point. You can uh, play along and help. Yeah, you could play along at home. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Uh, 
Special thanks uh, to Ty Hildenbrandt for coming onto our podcast at Ty Hildenbrandt on the tweets. Make sure you follow him there. Make sure you follow his podcast at Solid Verbal, one of mine and Nick's favorite college football podcasts. Uh, make sure you read everything that we're doing over at Roar Lions Roar. Follow us on Twitter at Roar Lions Roar. Go and buy yourself a t-shirt. It'll look really lovely on you. I guarantee it. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, for I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time, everyone.